You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is episode 55. And uh, with me today, again, reprise from last week, Neil Hughes, Managing Editor. Hey, hey Mikey, how's it going? Pretty good, Neil. Pretty good. Jumping right in, uh, I see this morning that we have a couple of exclusives. One of particular interest is the Apple, quote, Apple car. Something mm-hmm. about, about motor noises coming out of their <laughs> facility there. What's going on? I thought it was an electric car, Neil. Yeah, that, that's uh, uh, something that a lot of people are saying in the comments and stuff, which... I, I never said that the motor noises were necessarily coming from an Apple car. It's just the site where we know that they're working on some sort of automotive project. Uh, there's a lot of construction going on there as well, so more likely that it's related to some of that. But I suppose it's possible that they have a prototype with an engine there or something. I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on there specifically, which is why we report on it and put it out there. But uh, it's a uh, site that uh, Apple has taken over. Um, they lease uh, seven buildings there. And there have been a number of improvements that have been done. Um, we, through our research, have found uh, permits approving auto work area, garage, uh, repair garage, all kinds of automotive-related stuff there. Um, and digging around this week, uh, found that a resident who lives in a neighborhood uh, adjacent to the facility actually sent in a complaint to uh, the city uh, code enforcement uh, saying that there were motor noises coming from the property late at night. So uh, just one of those kind of interesting tidbits. Um, as I said in the story, that there's a lot of construction going on there. Uh, Apple was also approved uh, to put up a 10-foot fence uh, with gates around the property to keep out prying eyes and, and that sort of thing. So uh, a lot of potential for noise from a lot of things there. But we do know that there is something automotive going on there uh, to some extent, whether it's CarPlay-related or Project Titan or, or what, who knows. Hmm. And... Uh... Well, I mean, we still we still don't know. I mean, obviously, Apple is uh, working on perhaps some sort of electric vehicle. But yeah. do we know for a fact that it is an electric vehicle that they're working on? I think people are are kind of taking um, they're 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 taking that for granted right now. Um, I mean, Apple yeah, could yeah, very I well mean, be it... working on like a uh, a subsystem or something just to start out with. Who knows? Right. Yeah, I mean, anything's possible. I mean, even potentially, I, I don't think they would do a hybrid vehicle. I, I think that Apple uh, would be more likely to make an all-electric vehicle, but it's possible that if they were uh, creating uh, the brains for other people's cars, that they might be testing it out in different ways, that sort of stuff. Um, it's hard It's hard to say exactly what's going on there, because Apple, being so secretive, obviously is not going to let us know what's going on there. But it was a year ago that Mikey, you and I uh, worked on this story, um, where we kind of dug into this facility where one of our um, sources told us is kind of the ground zero for so-called Project Titan. Um, and did some poking around there um, at this facility where a company by the name of 68 Research had... Uh, advertised that they were uh, operating out of. And we started looking into this company, 68 Research, uh, who said they were a uh, market or a leading market research uh, company or something like that. And uh, it turned out that there really wasn't much of any evidence that they did anything at all, uh, which led to some speculation that they might actually be a front for uh, Apple, that they could hide behind a company name, just a shell corporation, to do things without 
bringing any attention. And so one of the things that we found was that they imported a, uh, a Fiat uh, 1957 model under the name 68 LLC, which we assume was Apple. And then last November, it was discovered that uh, 68 Research was an attendee at the Euro Car Body 2015 Global Car Body Benchmarking Conference, which is a mouthful of a name of a show. But uh, so there's a lot of evidence connecting Apple to 68. We can't say for sure that they're related, but they are supposedly headquartered out of this building that Apple is leasing space in and is now building a 10-foot fence around and has motor noises emanating from. So there's a lot of smoking guns here. Indeed. Yeah, I mean, uh, aside from the fact that, that Fiat is, uh, is hideous, uh, <laughs> it, is, uh, it is interesting. Maybe, uh, maybe Apple's engineers are just... Uh, <clears throat> doing donuts in the parking lot at night because they're, they're they're so happy that they're on right. the, uh, they're on the apple car team they gotta blow off some steam right hey anything's possible right yeah uh so kind of related to um to that to that story is on the other side of town i guess uh just a few apple- blocks away actually okay right so apple's working on the uh, supposedly working on high-end car systems. So, what kind of systems are they are they are they looking at in so the, this facility? This is a pretty interesting story because um, just kind of poking around this week and and seeing what I could find, going through you know documents related to um, uh, improvements and permits and stuff in the area. I also came across another building that Apple is leasing where they also put in improvements for a uh, quote-unquote auto testing center, which is a couple blocks away down the road from where the noise complaint was. And what was really interesting about this was uh, back in June of 2014, the city manager of uh, Sunnyvale, where the property is located, actually was boasting about it on their website in a bi-weekly blog that she does uh, detailing new projects come to the area. And... Uh, the city manager uh, posted on there saying that Apple's building, where they're located, quote, will be used as a testing facility for new electronic technologies that are integrated into high-end cars. So you could read that a lot of ways, obviously. Um, at its most basic level, Apple obviously has a platform called CarPlay, which is integrated in a number of cars, uh, which is just a basic infotainment system for uh, directions and music and, and that sort of stuff. But obviously, uh, new electric electronic technologies uh, in high-end cars and a testing facility uh, paired with the uh, permit for a quote-unquote auto testing center uh, is only going to fuel more speculation that this is a, another building where uh, Project Titan work may be underway. Interesting. The CarPlay platform is, uh, well, I mean, Ferrari and uh, who else is that? I guess that's the highest end uh, consumer manufacturer that integrates CarPlay into their um, into their OEM system, right? Yeah, I think so. You know, it, this makes me think of, uh, uh, I, I know I'm going to give some people seizures when I say this, but, you know, the Moto Rocker and how that was kind of Apple dipping its toes into the phone business before the iPhone came out. Obviously, the Moto Rocker was a disaster and a joke, 
but uh, I look at this and wonder if, you know, there's talk about CarPlay, talk about Project Titan, talk about whatever. What if they're all related? What if the CarPlay team at its most basic level, yeah, sure, they're working on, you know, improving that system, but what if they're using that as a basis point or a launching pad to dip their toes into the automotive market and seeing what they can do, whether they're whether they're going to make the brains for future self-driving cars manufactured by anybody or whether they're going to make their own car or what have you. I mean, you have to think that that's a starting point for them, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it is getting into the car itself, I mean, in any way, is, is a big first step, right? Right. Um, manufacturers are traditionally very uh, closed off and uh, restrictive of what you put in the car, especially when it comes to software, something that they can lose control of very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it could, it is feasible that the CarPlay team is working on something like that. I feel like the automotive sector is very, uh, is not high margin enough for Apple. Mm-hmm. I mean, with iPhone, uh, c- continuing on with your, uh, or extending your analogy to the Moto Rocker, mm-hmm. uh, they then created the iPhone, which is, you know, they, um, it's a piece of hardware that was cut from cut whole cloth, right? They manu- they designed that, manufactured it themselves. Um, if they did the same with a car, they wouldn't see those high margins, right? Because, I mean, there's already, uh, it, it's not like they're breaking new ground unless they make the iPhone of cars, although I don't know what that could be. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, car industry is has has such a long history uh i'm not sure that there's any anything really you can do uh, as far as a, a innovation that is going to catch on with the, the general public right um, well you can say the same thing about the watch business mm, it, it's, it's a little bit different though because uh, i from comparing a few hundred dollar device to something that uh some people you know, take out a second mortgage to pay for, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think when you're, you're entering in that high stratum of, uh, toys, I guess it's kind of a different story. I feel like you can make these you know, great changes with, uh, high volume products, products like iPhone, right? You can, you can drive down, uh, memory prices. You can, you can corner the market on storage and stuff like that. Uh, but with a car, you have a, a whole slew of manufacturers that have been doing this stuff for over a hundred years in some cases, right? Um, to, to come in and create something new is incredibly difficult. It's, at its most basic level, the car has been for uh, a very, very long time, four wheels, an engine, and a steering wheel, right? It's hard to reinvent the wheel, I guess, in, in that way. But um, is it not a market ripe for change? I mean, everybody knows that self-driving cars are inevitable. Mm. I, I mean, that's just that's just the reality of it, right? That that I mean, we we all know that it's coming. It's just a question of how quickly. And then there's you know all the concern about fossil fuels and reliance on oil and gas and that sort of stuff that just factors into a sense of urgency 
that a company like Apple could potentially bring to the table. Right. I, I think, you know, it, it's you can't uh, reinvent the car that much, but it's still an industry that is ripe for change. It's just a matter of the technology catching up. It'd be interesting to see if Apple does get into this, how successful they could be, because we already have companies like GM, uh, you know, you know, huge, huge corporations that are uh, that have backgrounds in these electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they brought them to market or not, you know, it's neither here nor there. They've done the research previously, and you know, they can build on that. The, the first electric cars were. Uh, I don't know, more than 50 years ago, right? I don't mm-hmm. know when the first one was. Um, well, you could pro- even go back to, you know, trolleys and things like that. Right. So there... Monorail. Right, right. Apple does have something to bring, but they, I think I feel like they need something more than just uh, just an electric car, if they're going to do it themselves, you know? Like, if they're if we're going to see an Apple car sitting in an Apple store, you know, with a, with a window, with a, with a window sticker of, I don't know, 70, 70 grand or however, however much they're going to price it at. Well, you won't see that because the auto lobby won't allow it. The, uh, dealers, which is the issue that Tesla has been running into. Yeah. It's, uh, easier to, it's easier for them in places like Hawaii though. Yeah. I have an in-law that, uh, owns a Tesla and, uh, he loves it, and he a few years ago drove down from North Carolina to Miami in it. Um, he did the math and figured that he, there were enough charging stations that he could stop at to make it uh, economical and and uh, not not a royal pain to get down there. And it worked out pretty well. How is uh, how is Musk doing with uh, rolling out the uh, superchargers or whatever they call those uh, hubs? Is, are those the battery swap stations, or I think or just the just, quick chargers? I think it's just those uh, quick charge stations, but they're strategically located across uh, uh, highly trafficked areas. Yeah, I, I mean, I know you can get from at least North Carolina down to Florida. I don't know if you can drive across the continental United States with it, but interesting. Plus, a lot of malls are uh, putting yeah. in chargers, and you can maybe make that trip for free. Yeah, I mean, I think that the breaking point for this kind of stuff is your average person that owns a car probably takes a road trip at least once a year, right? So if I've got an electric car and, you know, I got a family and, you know, three kids and we're driving to see the family in in Michigan or something up from Florida, um, if you're driving a gas car, you can refuel that in two minutes. If you're driving an electric car and it takes, you know, four hours to recharge your car to get another 250 miles range out of it, that kills your trip. I mean, you can't, you can't just be stopping every four hours for, you know, a four hour charge or even a two hour charge. You got to get that charge down to like, if you can get it down to like 30 minutes, you know, and, and get, you know, 250, 300 miles out of it and you stop for lunch or something like that, stretch your legs. I think then you're at a point where, for the average person, it could replace their daily car. But there's always this talk of the average person only drives X number of miles a day. Well, yeah, the average person does only drive X number of miles a day, but the average person also goes on road trips and drives the family down to Disney World or something, you know? Yeah, I mean, well, all this stuff is going to get better as yeah. battery technology increases. But Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. 
It'll take a while, and that. But while... is Apple the company to uh, to fix that? Judging by their iPhone battery life and <laughs> Apple Watch battery life, they're not. Right. But, I mean, but who knows? So I'm I'm looking at it now because I don't follow Tesla as closely as I suppose I should, but. Um, the first generation Tesla supercharger stations, which are out there now, um, can fast charge in less than an hour. Mm. Now, there are 2,000 superchargers in 400 stations worldwide. In October 2014, there were 119 standard Tesla supercharger stations operating in the United States. Nice. Now, I guess the battery swap station thing was kind of scrapped. They can do it for maintenance or something, but... Yeah. But I mean, to me, the battery swapping thing was genius because it solved your problem. Just roll the car over it, new battery, good to go, bam, get out of there. Yeah, it's also very uh, high friction, though. I mean, you're going to, so many things could go wrong with that. Plus, you have to maintain that. <laughs> the first thing it made me think of was um, uh, somebody gets like a bootleg battery in their Tesla oh, <laughs> and right. pulls up to the supercharger station and then swaps it out for a good one, you know? Right. I yes. mean, you'd have yes. to have like some sort of fingerprinting thing for the battery to make sure it was a legitimate one because you know some Chinese company is going to make a knockoff or something. Right. The way I see it, I think the first step, of course, is uh, they're going to have to maybe not launch a full-blown car, mm -hmm. right? Maybe a partnership or um, loan their technology out. Or, I don't know, they could license it. Who knows? Do they really uh, want to become the Microsoft Windows of cars, though? Uh, it, I don't know. It'll be, it, it would be different, though, I suppose. Um, Windows, I mean, obviously the end game there was to get on every single PC out there, right? I mean, that, right. Was, that was their end game. Um, Apple, doesn't, Apple can be more selective about who they partner with right um, they have ties with bmw um they have ties with ferrari with uh with q right mm -hmm. uh so they could potentially roll out like a, a small pilot program to these high-end makers where uh, there's a bit more leeway as far as vehicle customization goes uh see how it works out there and then maybe step into uh, manufacturing because uh, I don't know. From the beginning, this whole idea that Apple can just build a car at volume sound, sounded ridiculous to me. Yeah, but I, I think that the, the problem with that logic of just partnering with Ferrari or whatever is that's not Apple's business model. This company right. is in the business of selling millions of devices. Right. That I mean, that is when they enter a market, they want to sell a ton of them. You know, they, they want to sell uh, 10 million Apple Watches a quarter. They want to sell, they want to get the, and for, you know, the, the Apple TV did well for years and they still considered it a hobby because it wasn't, a, it wasn't moving the needle for them. And obviously, you know, they have some niche products like, uh, you know, iPods still sell in the millions, but they have different models of them and Macs, you have different varieties of them and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I think that for Apple to enter into that market and just sell, you know, hundred thousand dollar and up cars or something crazy like that, um, and partner in that market doesn't seem like something the Apple of twenty sixteen would do. Right. Well, what if we think about it this way? What if we think about the car as an iPhone accessory? Mm -hmm. Right. If they could 
somehow manage that. So and you think, you know, the iPhone, Apple's bread and butter in terms of making money, is that Apple's business strategy going forward is just to sell uh, things that that are so dependent on your iPhone that you get more hooked in the ecosystem and the, and the iPhone becomes the center of your digital life? Well, I mean, it's been it's been kind of the the undercurrent of their business has been going that way for a few years now, right? I mean, I, iPhone is obviously their biggest driver. It's the thing that uh, everyone looks at as far mm-hmm. as sales goes. Right. Um, even their newest their newest device that launched is basically useless without an iPhone. So. Everything is pointing to iPhone now, but I mean, we have to imagine that someday they're going to have to move away from that, right? Yeah, I, I would expect that the Apple Watch, hopefully sooner rather than later, becomes less dependent on the iPhone. I, I would, I would hope that it turns into, uh, you know, integrated LTE radio, and obviously things like continuity for jumping between devices would be nice, um, and that's not going to go anywhere. But uh, to have an Apple Watch that, like, to be able to just go out for the day and not bring my phone and just bring my watch would be pretty cool. Yeah. Do you think that the next gen Apple watch is going to have a cellular capability and be more of a standalone device? You know, I've heard that. And, uh, we even got kind of word of that from, from somebody that we know. Um, we did not report on on the website because I just don't feel like they're there yet. Uh, the first gen model is the battery life's actually not bad. I've never, ever had my Apple Watch go into low power mode, but I'm also kind of uh, paranoid about low power modes. So like I will, uh, you know, if I'm getting ready to go out, take my watch off, put it on the charger for a half hour and get a juice back up. Uh, Same thing with my phone, just because especially uh, living in New York, it's like with buildings and stuff, your signal just gets killed immediately. Like the first thing I do if I'm going to be leaving the house for more than a couple hours is put my phone in low power mode just because... I know that it's going to die if I don't do that. And I bring a Mophie with me and all that. It's kind of obsessive, Neil. <laughs> a little bit. I'm a little OCD. Um, so I I don't think, while I think the battery life on the Apple Watch is not that bad, uh, I don't think that they're there yet. I don't think the technology is there yet to make your watch have its own LTE radio. And I don't think, we've discussed this before, I don't think that you're going to see GPS in the Apple Watch until they have an LTE radio in there because GPS alone takes forever to get a signal lock. So I think that you're only going to see GPS when LTE is in there. Maybe next year, but my gut says not this year. Right. I mean, and the way Apple does it on Maps, um, for Apple Maps, I mean, it, it's streaming data down, right? I mean, it, it's yeah. not like, uh, uh, what was that? Uh, GPS. Uh, what was one, of the, one of the first third-party GPS programs allowed you to uh, download a map of your area, right? So you could use it offline. Yeah, Google Maps does that. Yeah, you can download yeah. an area. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it. other than the watch not having perhaps that kind of capacity, uh, storage capacity, um, yeah, it would have to have some sort of cellular radio to bring in that data. And well, not necessarily. I mean, you can, you know, if you were uh, going for a run, for example, uh, there are plenty of devices out there that have, because that would be, I think, the number one use for GPS on the watch would be for exercise. You're going for a bike ride, you're going for a run, you want to track your speed. There are plenty of devices out there that don't uh, have the data 
accessible, but can then, when you get back home and get on Wi-Fi, take mm. the GPS coordinates and apply them to a map. So right. it actually does that. Um, I had a first-generation Microsoft Band that I tested, and uh, it would take sometimes 15 minutes to get a GPS lock. But uh, when I got home and got back on Wi-Fi and reconnected my phone and all that, uh, it would take my run and then put it on a map in RunKeeper and then upload it to RunKeeper. So it worked. Um, right. I actually got a faster GPS signal with the Fitbit Surge, I believe it was called. Uh, but I wonder if there was some trickery going on there too where it kind of guesstimates your speed based on the pedometer as it tries to well, narrow down GPS. It, I mean, it depends whether how many sats satellites they're locking onto, right? Right. I mean, some have a higher, lower tolerance for accuracy. And your iPhone and, and things like that will use known Wi-Fi networks and mm -hmm. cellular towers and all yeah. kinds of other little trickery to make it look like you're getting a GPS signal. Yeah. But getting the actual GPS lock from multiple satellites takes like up to five minutes. Yeah. So assisted GPS is is a thing that exists. Right. Uh, yeah. But I mean, to your point, I feel like Apple wouldn't release a watch with GPS that just... That just uh, uh, logs coordinates mm -hmm. and later you can upload something because I feel like consumers will be like, oh, hey, this is GPS, but what? why can't I see the map? Where's right. it, it had GPS? I mean, what's going on here? So I, to avoid that confusion, I guess I'd say. And also there's the power concerns, right? I mean, the, the ever-present battery uh, anxiety issues. Right. Um, They've done such an incredible job scaling down all of that uh, arc circuitry and silicon architecture, and um, e even the battery itself, right, is is pretty is pretty it's fairly dense for a, a small unit, but still, it's powering these um, these components that are just sucking it dry. So uh, there's going to have to be a, a change there. We had an exclusive story this week where uh, Apple put out a job listing um, advertising they want uh, people to work on new watch faces for the Apple Watch. Now, I realize that's not exactly a shocking piece of news that Apple would be interested in creating new watch faces. You know, that's an obvious direction for at least this year with the watch and potentially a watch OS 3 coming this fall um, or maybe sooner, uh, depending on how quickly watch OS 2 came out you got to think about where you want to see the platform expand and, and what you want to see it do, not just in terms of the hardware, but also in terms of the software. Because I feel like the watch does so much so well that I feel compelled to wear it every day, which is a good thing. But there are so many little areas where it falls short, where you can see the potential, you can see where it's going. But it's like, why aren't we there yet? Why is why is that taking so long? You know, this should have been addressed in watchOS too. Uh, I, I think that... Um, I really want to see more, obviously, better third-party apps, better third-party app integration. Um, like, if you try to run with a third-party app, um, the watch will automatically return to the watch face. It only stays on the uh, activity app if you're using Apple's activities app. You know, right, and, and like, right. there's, like, little things like that where Apple needs to sort out a way to let... Uh, and they haven't even really fixed this on the iPhone in, in a lot of ways. Like, you think about how Apple Maps has this gorgeous display where it kind of takes over the lock screen. 
and uh, shows you uh, uh, where you're going as you're using it. But like uh, Google Maps and stuff are kind of forced to do push notifications on the screen and kind of work around it because they're not, you know, they're not Apple and they don't get to break the rules the way Apple does with their own apps. Um, and it, it would be nice to see a way to allow third-party developers to do stuff like that without abusing it by using the review process. And maybe something that uses certain APIs gets more scrutiny as to how they use it. But for a third-party running app like RunKeeper, it should just show me RunKeeper when I raise my wrist and I'm using it. The watch knows I'm running. I realize that there's a setting to make it show you the last thing you're doing, but I don't want to have to turn that on and off every time. Yeah, contextual contextual uh, uh, app management is always difficult. Yeah, it's Be very Because difficult. after all, it is a, for however intelligent it is, it is still just a dumb machine. Right. Right. But, um, I, you know, Apple has a review process in place yeah. where they could potentially say, you want access to this API, it's going to take a month for us to review your app because there's going to be a backlog and we got to get through them. And, but here's what you can do and how you can do it. I, I feel like there's got to be a responsible way to give apps more control over the, how the device is used, especially with the watch, because the less I interact with my watch, the better. I mean, how often do you honestly hit the uh, digital crown button and go to the home screen on your watch and open a third-party app? How often do you do that? I rarely do that. And then what about the glances when you swipe up and you have all these things down there? Yeah, I, I do that more often. I do that I mean, more often, but how often do you, like, once you get more than, like, three of them on there, it's kind of useless, right? Yeah, I mean, you got to swipe through them. I usually keep the most used apps, like, towards the front. I yeah, guess. so my number one one is the the quick settings, so airplane mode, do not yeah, disturb, right. silent, that kind of stuff. My second one is music and the music controls. My third mm -hmm. one is my uh, activities for the day and you know my, my circles and stuff like that. Then I have battery, heart rate, maps, weather, and then I have the ESPN one is the only third-party one I have installed on there. But I never scroll over that far. It's just I'd rather just pull my phone out at that point. It's going to take me too long. Yeah, it's they got to they got to do something. But I feel like you know the, this first generation, um, they're keeping pretty tight control over it. Yeah, for obvious reasons. Uh, right. They don't. No third party watch faces. Yeah. I'm I'm yeah. just highly disappointed by the third party complications. I had high hopes for it, um, but the developers haven't really embraced it and. Um, the, the amount of space that you're given to work with on most of the watch faces, unless you go with the modern watch face, it's just not enough to convey the information. It, it almost feels like they need to kind of just shrink the watch faces a little bit to allow people to get more information on there. Like, why can't I have a complication that combines, uh, the weather and the date into one? Cause th that's just very simple information. Or how about a weather complication uh, that isn't just displaying the temperature, but also has like a little cloud on there or sun or rain or whatever. I, I feel like there would be s visually simple ways to convey more information on that small of a space. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed that, that uh, no one really has taken the time to make a sweet complication. Um, and it seems like most of the most interesting ones are using the, the modern face because you can have lines of text on there. Yeah, yeah. Like the calendar uh, complication is completely worthless. 
if you're not yeah. on the modern watch face. Yeah. I don't know. There has to be some sort of uh, a common glyph uh, interface that we can glance at. Well, that needs to be made, though, because um, for a screen that small, we can't rely on the, the their San Francisco text. Right. right. It's uh, it's just too small. There needs to be some sort of symbology going on. But uh, speaking of updates, is it six segue I did? Oh, yeah. App updates. Uh, Apple TV recently got a interesting new feature in the tvOS 9.2 beta, the third beta that is. A much requested and much needed feature as far as I'm concerned. And what, what was that, Neil? Uh, so in the third beta of tvOS 9.2, Apple has added a voice dictation feature. So when you come up to a text entry field, rather than having to scroll back and forth with your Siri remote or break out your iPhone to use the Apple remote app, you can hold the Siri button and just speak what you want to search for, and it works much like you'd expect. Just say the words, and then you're off. Uh, they also added the ability to use a Siri command anywhere to search the App Store. So you can hold it and say, search the App Store for Netflix. It will automatically whisk you away to the App Store searching for Netflix. So Apple is kind of heard uh, the text entry woes that people experienced with the uh, new Apple TV when it launched last fall. And they've been quickly addressing it with software updates, which is a welcome change for Apple, who historically has held on to big features like that for major uh, updates rather than uh, 0.1 updates. Uh, a great example is the fact that you still cannot clear all notifications at once on your iPhone when you swipe down from the notification center. Yet I can yet I can do it with Force Touch on my Apple Watch. So why there isn't a 3D Touch option to clear all notifications in iOS 9 on my iPhone success, I don't know. But that's Apple for you. They 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 will tell you when you can do that. All right. <laughs> you know, and it's such Not a small before. feature. Like roll it into nine point three for the iPhone. You know, just be like, oh, now you can do that. Be like, oh, okay, great. But it feels like there's a lot of like stockpiling of features to go. Oh, iOS ten, here it is. Well, I mean, they got they have to they they have to uh, have at least uh, five new features to change that to have that ticker roll over. Does it matter time, right? really when when you're not charging for the software update that we have these like big point updates all the time? Especially yeah. now now Apple's locked themselves into this annual release cycle. If they if they decided to make a 9.5 this year instead of an iOS 10, people would be angry and it would just be a number. It could be the exact right. same update and they could right. call it 9.5 and people would say, "Oh, Apple's doomed." So, what would you expect to see in an iOS 10? Since, you know, we've got these betas out. I'm running 9.3 on my phone and my iPad, unfortunately. The battery life's terrible on it, so don't install it if you're not, if you <laughs> if it's your primary phone. The Apple Pencil is still broken in beta 3, where you can't tap on icons on the home screen and probably going to ship that way. Uh, yeah. But we had a, a, a few pictures today. A reader sent us one of, uh, in New Jersey, one of the Apple Maps vans driving around at night. And there was another one in, in Boston driving around like 9.30 at night. Uh, obviously not gathering a lot of street view pictures and stuff at night. Hmm. Um, but it was kind of interesting. I thought that these maps were, were out there. Uh, the mapping vans were out there. And you got to think that that's going to be uh, some sort of thing they flip the switch on for iOS 10, right? I mean, they've been working right. on this for a while. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they have the maps thing, 
which you know whatever their version of street view i i imagine it's going to be something like you enter flyover but you can zoom in and it's going to just swoop you into street view mm-hmm. or like some sort of some sort of uh, a high resolution ground level uh mapping that's that's seamless right mm-hmm. i mean um something like that and also uh, they've been paying a lot more attention to their first party apps like notes with the recent, um, iPad pro launch. They revamped it for pencil. Right. Um, so I mean just those things, I, th- I don't think they're going to harp on the small, unfortunately for you, uh, things like clear all, um, messages. It's so I- simple. It's already on the watch. Come on. And there's usually some big iOS update feature that we don't know about until the next iPhone is announced. So for those who don't know the schedule, Apple is very predictable on this kind of stuff. June, Worldwide Developers Conference, announce a new iOS and a new Mac OS. But there's a key feature to the new iOS that remains hidden until the new iPhone comes out because it relies on a hardware component. So... Obviously, last year's iPhone 6S key feature was uh, the uh, 3D touch capabilities within iOS. Uh, And then to a lesser extent, you had things like selfie flash and live photos and that sort of stuff. Um, What do you think they could do hardware-wise to really, uh, you know, make it... uh, uh, something worthwhile for an upgrade for people this year other than just a new look get rid of the uh headphone jack <laughs> that's gonna make them want to upgrade oh yeah tons of people are gonna want to do that because they want to buy new hardware that is the number one thing that people ask me uh when they ask me about a new iphone coming out because they know what i do they say when's it coming out are they really getting rid of the headphone jack? Those are the two things that people are talking about. It's what everybody wants to know. I still don't think they're going to do it. I still remain convinced that Apple will do some sort of a segue where they introduce lightning headphones and flood the market with lightning headphones and Bluetooth options and that sort of stuff, and then a year or two later ditch the headphone jack. But I don't think they're just going to go cold turkey. I think that they need to have somewhat of a transition. In interesting interesting well i mean how about lightning right i mean that was kind of a not quite an identical move but a move in a similar direction right people had uh hundreds or maybe even thousands of dollars invested in uh uh, 30 pin docks and all that good stuff yeah they they they, the one thing that they screwed up with the lightning transition i think is the fact that Lightning doesn't properly do video. And so there were a lot of people uh, and a lot of gyms own uh, fancy treadmills with 30-pin connectors to this day. And it used to be that you could take your uh, iPod in there or your iPhone and have video on it and then play it on the screen on the treadmill. And so all these gyms were pissed off that they had (laughs) these, these treadmills that were no longer useful. In fact, for a while, my wife was bringing an old iPod Nano and loading video onto that just so she could play stuff on the big screen on the TV there, uh, with a 30 pin. So I think that was the one thing that they really screwed up with the lightning transition. But other than that, uh, I think the benefits were so good in terms of it being reversible and smaller. Um, and there were adapter adapters available for audio devices and stuff like that. 
Um, I don't think that people cared that much after about six months. Then it kind of died down. The mm. problem with getting rid of the headphone jack is you're dealing with a way, way, way bigger ecosystem of devices that depend on a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack. Everybody's got headphones uh, that plug into that, and everybody has probably multiple headphones that they use for different purposes. I own many different types of headphones. So um, I cannot see them just cold turkey cutting it. I don't think it's like lightning. I don't think it's the same. Because what would your upsell be, right? It would be, oh, um, you get better sounding audio. Okay. And, and better better integration of, uh, of new cool features because you can... Can, uh, transfer data back and forth. Okay, Lots what are you data. what are you going to transfer your headphones? I mean, I can already do that with Bluetooth headphones. DAC. You can have an off-board DAC. I mean, but think about the person who complains about the missing headphone jack. Think about the, mm. you know, forty-something-year-old guy who is just trying to plug his crap in and go to the gym and work out with his earbuds. You know. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple ways they could do this, right? They could get rid of the jack, mm-hmm. include a bundle, uh, uh, an adapter. They will in not there. include an adapter. They will not do it. Who knows? They might be forced to. What if they didn't what? with USB-C? They didn't with Lightning from 30-pin. They're not going to do it. There's no way. What if there's such a such a outcry from the public that <laughs> they are forced? to send out some sort of adapter. Right. That is what I'm talking about, and that is the PR disaster that I don't think Apple wants to deal with. Listen, the headphone jack has to die. It has to. It's inevitable. But, I mean, you can't get rid of it on an iPhone and then still have it on a Mac. Then you have to have a lightning port on a Mac, too. Right. Well, unless they go Bluetooth. They're not even going to have any sort of input on a, on a, on a Mac for audio? Who knows? I mean, no, well, I of can't. course you could. Well, it, Mac is different. I mean, they can keep these legacy, uh, f- these legacy ports, right? right? Legacy formats. So it, I don't think they would. Space. I don't think they would. Yeah, I don't think they're going to get rid of it this cycle. Um, maybe next year. Maybe the. I don't even think next year. Maybe a couple years. The next iPhone, what is it, seven, eight? Right. The the next big redesign, maybe. I think I think they get rid of it when they get rid of all the ports. Mm. I think that they say they go whole hog and they because they're doubling down on lightning right now. You take away the headphone jack just to make it thinner, but then you still have another port on there, which it while thinner isn't that much thinner. It's still a port. Right. You know, we talked about last week about a smart connector on the iPad Pro and how maybe that's kind of the lightning replacement of the future once they get it up to spec and stuff like that. What if that became your uh, charging replacement and connecting to accessories. Right. Well, I mean, the way smart connector works is very similar to the 3.5 millimeter headphone jack, right? I mean, the, sure. it has the basic electrical contacts on the inside and mm-hmm. it interfaces with that. Yeah. But I mean, you know, getting, rid of all, getting rid of all the ports is definitely something that I would want. Uh, you can, that you can super weatherproof your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would uh, finally take on the iPhone's true form as a black monolith. 
that is uh, devoid of any design cues. Just it's just a slate of of glass. Yeah, I mean, you got to look at it and think there are certain things that are coming eventually, whether you know two years or ten years. No more home button. Integrate three uh, D touch and or I'm sorry, integrate Touch ID into the screen itself. Um, some form of wireless charging. Um, you know, th- those kind of things, they just seem like they have to happen. Getting rid of the lightning head jack, getting rid of the headphone jack. But I don't see, I don't really see any of that coming this year. It just seems too soon. It seems like too much. And it would be a complete public relations disaster for Apple to release a iPhone without a headphone jack, without an adapter, and without a adequate number of lightning headphones on the market. Because, I mean, it would be easy for me, right? Like, I'm wearing my Master Dynamic headphones right now. They're $400 headphones, and they have a removable cable at both ends. So, th- theoretically, they could sell me a uh, headphone uh, wire that would be 3.5 millimeter on one end to plug into the headphones itself, and then lightning on the other, right? Um, it depends. I mean, those those high-end headphones need to be driven, right? I don't know about Master Dynamic, but sometimes the... Uh... Yeah, I'm not gonna go buy a new $400 set of headphones to work to use with my new iPhone, and I'm what? gonna and I'm gonna but get why? yeah, and I'm gonna get some you know crappy dongle for $35 that Apple's gonna sell. I mean, Beats Beats is gonna sell it, and it's gonna be great. I I I think that's what you do. You sell new earpods, or you put in the box new earpods that are Lightning, but you keep the headphone jack on there. But you make the cost of making lightning headphones basically nothing. Make the licensing fees so small that every pair of headphones comes in a stupid ancient headphone jack that's on your Android phone or sweet new lightning connector. Uh, And so by the time you ditch the headphone jack, everybody's already got a pair of lightning headphones anyhow or Bluetooth. And it also uh, increases ecosystem stickiness, right? Exactly. When, When you basically are forcing third-party manufacturers to use your format that is only on your phone. Right. Yeah, which is yeah. kind of what Apple does. They can do it. They have the they have the market share. And then so. and then when they ditch Lightning, it's going to be the same nightmare all over again. Where do I plug in my headphones now? It's all wireless charging and stuff. Yeah. Hopefully wireless charging actually makes it to uh to the next iPhone. I don't know though. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm doubtful. I'm dubious. I don't, yeah, I don't think so. Don't there was a report a couple weeks ago. Was it Bloomberg said that they weren't, they were working on wireless charging, but not the, um, you know, contact mat type of wireless charging that everything yeah. does now, uh, so including range. The, yeah. Including the Apple watch, but actually a long range. And I've seen stuff about this technology before. And it's interesting because one of the ways that you have to look at it is it's not necessarily about charging your phone as it is as much um, reducing uh, the drain on it. So imagine that you had a uh, a bunch of Apple devices in your home that uh, when they were within range of some sort of puck that was sending out, you know, electricity through the air that while it might give you cancer, uh, trickle charges your iPhone to a point where maybe it doesn't recharge it, but it slows the drain on it. Yeah, it, it's an interesting concept. I mean, I'm not a fan of uh, having radio waves passing <laughs> through my body every single day, and especially being in very close proximity to such a device. Right. But uh, 
but it would be really great for my uh, iPhone battery. That's true. And you could have yeah. them, I mean, you could set them up wherever, like in the way that we set up Wi-Fi hotspots now throughout a city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you think, know, I think the range is uh, five meters or something, or is it 15 meters? It's either five or 15 meters, I'm not sure, is the <laughs> current limit. Of, is it uh, powerful technology. enough to recharge, though, or is it just... No. Well, it depends because it's uh, it diminishes as you right. leave the proximity of the the uh, central hub but so. you could do it like household wide where it would reduce battery drain right essentially yeah the net effect would be you're still losing power but it's trickle charging it back right yeah it would be kind of like the concepts from the 50s of your of the atomic house yeah right? it's a, your house is the power station yeah and uh, everything just connects into that grid um but you're you're also in that grid. You're a piece of meat. <laughs> you're getting cooked. Living in these, living in this oven of uh, <laughs> what you're saying, um, just to keep it, uh, just to keep the the percentage like a status quo, right? Mm-hmm. Just keep it at a certain level, and then when you leave the house, that's the only time basically that you'll be draining the battery. And who knows? I mean, pe- places like Starbucks could integrate these hubs at relatively low cost, and then. Um, the only time you'd actually be draining the battery is when you're away from uh, building infrastructure. And whether because it's whether it's recharging or it's the battery itself, you know, this is the main breakthrough that technology has been sorely needing for the last forever, right? I mean, yeah. you, you look at everything else. It's the Walkman. You look at the processing speed. You look at the screen quality. Uh, you look at the capabilities of what you can do now. I mean, I can edit a full-length movie on my iPhone, and it looks pretty dang good. And, you know, just the power is so incredible. And yet the battery technology uh, just has not kept up with the pace of everything else. Yeah. And, I mean, the software developers have done a really great job as well, right, cutting down on code. and Yeah. Um, Apple's helped a lot with their... ARM architecture yeah. to uh, streamline basically everything. Everything's uh, shrunk to the device now. If you break it open, it's just a big battery in there with a bunch of small parts. Yeah, battery batteries are hard. That system in itself would take up a bunch of space in the phone, and I just don't think that. Well, uh, the seven is supposedly a bit thinner, right, mm-hmm. than the success. So I don't see how they can cram yet another very major module in there. Um, well, that's kind of the most interesting thing to me about the iPhone 7 is we don't really have any concrete rumors on what it's going to do, what it's going to be. You think two years yeah. ago we knew that Apple was going to do two bigger iPhones. We knew the screen size. We knew it months ahead of time. We knew it like a year ahead of time. Uh, you think back to last year, uh, we knew that the success was going to do uh, 3D touch on the phone. Uh right. We knew about uh, the Touch ID fingerprint sensor back with the iPhone 5S. We knew about uh, the taller form factor with the iPhone 5. Um, I, I I don't know that we knew Siri as well with the 4S, going back to that. Uh, but other than that, I mean, the last four or five years, we've really had a good idea every year what the iPhone's going to be and what it's going to do. And the only thing everybody's talking about this year is ditching the headphone jack. I mean, is that going to yeah, be its defining feature? Well, the, the dual cameras... 
Oh, yeah, but apparently only on the 7 Plus or something is, is the rumor, so. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if that bodes well for Apple. I mean, what if they're... Assumedly, they haven't... Uh, they haven't turned off the leaks in China. Right. Apparently those are still going. So if there's nothing to leak at this stage, either they're still prototyping um, and are scrambling to get everything done in time, which would be bad, right? I mean, they're, they're going to have another supply-constrained launch like last year. I, w- I wonder if they're cramping down pretty well because... Uh, they, we we don't, we don't even have uh, solid leaks on a the four inch iPhone. Mm. There haven't. That's true. There was like a weird Photoshop of someone just made it look like a smaller iPhone six, but we don't really have. Uh, and usually, by this point, we start getting parts, and it might just be something as stupid as a a flex cable or something like that. But we we haven't had any of those this year, and I, I wonder if uh, if Tim Cook and company have kind of done something uh, on their end to cut down on the riffraff out of China. Well, it depends, right? I mean, uh, if the 4-inch iPhone is probably not going to be a high-volume product, right? So it, it depends what manufacturer they're using. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like most of the most of the uh, leaks come out of Fox Foxconn. Yeah, because the factories are so big. If they're going with uh, a smaller assembly or a manufacturing and assembly uh, uh, chain, it could be feasible that nothing is going to leak. And but even uh guys like Ming-Chi Kuo haven't really chimed in with, you know, some sort of hot take on what the iPhone 7 is going to do and what's going to make it stand out. There's just this like expectation especially from Wall Street and all that. It's like okay, iPhone sales are going to dip next quarter, but the 7 is going to change it all and they're going to return to growth. And maybe it will, uh, th- that would be great for Apple, but what are they going to do? What is going to stimulate that growth? How are they? I mean, is it is a dual camera system uh, that takes uh, you know that can zoom for photos? Is that really going to be that big of a selling point? I don't know. There's not really much more you can do with a smartphone without introducing completely new technology, right? What else can they add on there that adds value? Um, it's already a great, great point and shoot camera. Mm-hmm. It's a communication device. It basically killed the portable GPS market. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a music player. Yeah. What else? What else can it do? Turn into a car. <laughs> the brains of your car. Could be. Yeah, it's going to be thinner. You know, I think with with Apple Pay and Touch ID and 3D Touch, uh, Apple's clearly been leading the way in innovation in the smartphone race when you compare it to you know the other leader samsung and like what's their big innovation in the last three years uh, the bendy screen yeah a screen you that can see it a screen that curves around the side and it's like i really don't care about that so i gotta give apple a lot of credit for continuing to innovate in a market where you look at it and say Oof, man what else can you do here like how much better can you make it because the things that we're talking about coming down the pike like wireless charging or integrating touch id into the screen just the technology is not there yet we just don't have it yet so you can make the camera better you can do those sorts of things but it, it you can redesign it and 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 make it look new and spiffy but it's it's difficult there i think they have their work cut out for them this year because there's a lot of high expectations for the 7 to be like the savior of the iphone 
not that it's going anywhere, obviously, but just in terms of uh, sales growth. And it's still growing, but it's not growing as fast. So well, they already we said it's not going to grow next quarter. So yeah, well, uh, next quarter, yes, but right for the seven. But I mean, <clears throat> so for the seven, and p- potentially you know the eight, they're going to have to stall right until this technology uh, matures. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to bank on people wanting a new. Uh, different looking phone. So perhaps the seven and the eight will be uh, greater design departures from their predecessors. Something to really shake it up. Yeah. Kind of like the shift from the three G to the four, right? That was a pretty big shift. The, uh, the glass sandwich design. I love that design. Yeah, that was a sweet design. Well, unless you count the horrible antenna uh, <laughs> antenna gap. But they fixed that. So, <clears throat> yeah, so it, these upcoming iPhones might see a a, a bigger a shift in, in design and aesthetics than previously because Apple's going to have to bank on that more than what's on the inside. It's a simple and stupid thing, but... Uh, I would love to see a range of fun colors for the <sighs> iPhone beyond what you have now. Uh, <sighs> and I, I, I really like, I think the blue uh, iPod touch metal back looks pretty sharp. I was a big fan of, I didn't buy one, but I liked the look of the iPhone 5C. I liked the way it felt in the hand. I thought it was a pretty good phone. And if they could have the same premium metal feel of a top tier iPhone with some colors on there. I don't think it would cheapen the product in any way. And I think it would be a uh, stimulant for sales. You know, they're already expanding into gold and, and uh, the, the pink rose gold color. So why not go down that road further? Why not give us more? They do need to differentiate, right? I mean, before it was, you had an iPhone, people knew you had an iPhone because it looked different. Yeah. Right? It came in black. Yeah. Then it came in black and white. And then, you know, it started catching on. And now, you know, a, a whole bunch of people have it. And they only have it in one of uh, one of a few colors. So, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe they could go down that road. I mean, the same thing did happen with, uh, with iPod. So um, I guess that would also stimulate growth, right? I mean, people want to be unique. Yeah. They want to be their own whatever. Yeah, and the combination of the cases that Apple made, I mean, the polka dot cases were kind of cheesy looking or whatever, but again, it was that customization factor. You get one color for the case, one color for the phone itself. I thought it looked pretty sharp, uh, and I would love to see an iPod Touch uh, element come over with that uh, anodized uh, kind of aluminum uh, look for uh, coloring the iPhone. Um, and I think the, the the last rumor, the consistent rumor about future iPhones that we haven't really touched on is bringing an OLED display or OLED, as some people say, uh, from the Apple Watch to the iPhone. And the only thing I have to say to that is, yes, they may eventually do it if it leads to you know thinner design, cost cutting, whatever. But you will not see the power savings with it that you do in the Apple Watch unless Apple completely redesigned iOS to have a dark user interface. Because for those of you who don't know, an LCD screen has to light up all the pixels no matter what. It has a backlight there. They're all illuminated even when the screen is black. An OLED screen, each individual pixel is lit. 
So if it's black on the screen, then no power is being used, or very little at least, to uh, send a picture there. So therefore, when you use an Apple Watch and you notice it's a black background, the watch faces are dark, uh, the whole user interface is, is a dark black background, uh, that is actually a conscious decision by Apple to save battery life on the device and eke out every little bit of power they can out of it. There's not a lot of incentive to do that on an iPhone because an iPhone is colorful and bright and has white backgrounds. So the last thing we're going to talk about today is, uh, Neil, you did a comparison slash review uh, for the iPad Pro as far as keyboards are concerned. Mm -hmm. uh, you compared Apple's official smart keyboard versus uh, a Logitech Create version, kind of cradle-looking thing. Yeah. Uh, so, so what did you find? Uh, I kind of expected to hate both of them just because uh, the Apple one is just too thin, doesn't have the row of media keys, and I had messed around with a, a Microsoft Surface before, and you just couldn't use the thing on your lap. It just didn't work. Um, I came away actually surprised by Apple's one. You can actually use it on your lap. The base on it is sturdy enough. It's not like a laptop where you're going to get multiple viewing angles and stuff like that, but it's actually sturdy enough to hold up the iPad Pro uh, between the magnetic connection and all that. So I came away um, pretty impressed with that. Uh, it does have its shortcomings. If you care about a backlight, uh, you're not going to get one there. Uh, and if you want that row of media keys, you're not going to get that there either. So it does have a few sacrifices. Uh, the Logitech one, uh, so Apple's one is 180, I think. Uh, and then Logitech's one is 150. Um, maybe 170 for the Apple one, I think, and 150 for the Logitech one. Uh, right. So it's a little bit cheaper. Uh, the Logitech one is more of a laptop replacement kind of thing. It protects the back of the iPad. So you have to actually snap the iPad into a plastic case, and then it just makes it heavy. Uh, but, but by being bigger... Uh, it uh, uh, actually allows more features, like it has the full row of media keys, it's backlit keyboard. Both of them work well. The magnetic connection works fine. Um, the Logitech one did have some lag and keys dropping out that were fixed by the iOS 3 beta and a firmware update. Uh, so buyer beware, you may want to wait till iOS 3 comes out with that firmware update integrated into it. Uh, which was a pretty seamless process. Just connected the iPad to it, and it said, hey, there's a firmware update. Do you want to install? Yes. Pushed it to the keyboard. Done. Uh, I, I think that there's a market for both of these. I prefer the uh, Apple Smart Keyboard uh, because the Apple Smart Keyboard uh, is very thin and light and portable, and I don't want to use my iPad with a keyboard all the time. Most of the time, I just, I just have a regular smart cover, and I just snap it off and just use it as a tablet in my hands. Uh, and then sometimes if I want to stand it up, I go get my smart cover and connect it. And then if I want to have a keyboard, then I can just snap this one on. Uh, snapping the iPad into and out of the Logitech Create keyboard is a little bit more work um, and kind of uh, an effort. Plus, it just makes the thing so bulky and big uh, that uh, despite its uh, handful of shortcomings, I got to give the nod to the Apple one. But as I said, depending on your use case, if you really want it to stay in a folio-style protective case that'll protect the back of your iPad Pro. I think you'll be happy with the uh, Logitech one, though it is a little bulky. What does the key feel on the uh, Logitech? Because I, I have the I have the Apple one, and I'm, I'm pretty happy with the uh, key feel. It, I can type fast, yeah. and um, it's, good for, uh, it's good for touch typing. It really is, considering the small design, right? Um, yeah. 
Yeah, the, I, was, I was impressed. The Apple one has a, a kind of a textured uh, cloth uh, uh, cover over the keys, um, and it feels nice on your fingertips, and the keys have enough travel and enough sound that it feels good. I would have to give the nod to the Logitech keyboard just in terms of um, how the keys feel because they're more traditional plastic keys inside of a thicker plastic base, so they feel more like a laptop keyboard. Uh, but I... Didn't really. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a picky keyboard person, is what I would say. Uh, I, I know when I, I know when it's a bad keyboard. Uh, I wouldn't consider either of these to be bad keyboards. And typing on both of them, working on my review, I had no problems typing on either of them. I, it was perfectly fine. Gave the Apple version a four out of five, uh-huh. and the Logitech a three point five. Yep, pretty close. Pretty close. Yep. Yeah, I give the nod to the Apple one just for the portability and. Because it doesn't cover the back of the iPad, you can just snap it off and throw it away somewhere and, and go do your thing with your iPad as a tablet. And, you know, 75 to 90% of the time with my iPad, I'm just using it as a tablet. I'm not interested in replacing my MacBook. If I really need a keyboard that bad, I'll go to my MacBook. But there are times when it's nice to just have a keyboard there with your iPad. So for those occasions, great. Uh, for $170, eh, let's get that price down closer to 100 bucks, Apple. <laughs> You're dreaming. You're dreaming. <laughs> hey, if the pencil can cost $100, then why not a keyboard? Well, I guess so. The, the pencil is uh, quite packed with uh, with goodies. Yeah. That was our show for today. Wrapping up episode 55. Where can they, uh, where can they reach you, Neil, on the, on the Twitters? Uh, my handle on Twitter at is at thisisneil. And I just recently crossed 500 followers on Twitter. So. You're ahead of me. <laughs> well, I, my, I, I don't follow anybody back. So I think that, well, that and I don't tweet that much. But if you do have a question, uh, there are a few listeners that tweet at me um, uh, on the regular. And uh, I do appreciate the feedback and the commentary. Awesome. And uh, I'm Mikey Campbell. You can reach me at... at Mikey Campbell 81 and you tweet a lot more than I do uh yeah but it's uh, nonsensical tweets you were commenting on the debate the other night so well I do that because it's hilarious all right well anyway uh thanks for listening and uh have a good one <laughs>